turn to the book of Jonah. If you have your pew Bibles, it's actually found on page 774. If you're still in um, Joel and Amos, you haven't gone far enough. If you're in Malachi, you went way too far. You're too close to the New Testament. I was uh, taken a little back when I came to preach, actually, this morning, because Will only called me three weeks ago to do this. So I'm slowly learning to have less and less time to prepare for these type of events. Um, but this story, actually, I spent the past three months learning just about the book of Jonah. And there's just something that I've always loved about it that I really have felt this passion for this sermon. So we're actually just reading the first nine verses of chapter one, Jonah chapter one, verses one through nine. Perfect. <laughs> I was wondering what happened to it. <laughs> Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship and into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he, Jonah, said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. I feel it appropriate for us to pray one last time before we start. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that although we have this natural inclination to run away from you, that you are ever present in our life. And I pray that if there's anyone that is questioning your presence in their life, whether that be a good thing or a bad thing to them, that you may be present to them and that you may be able to speak through me, that this words will not be to glorify myself, but ultimately that it will only bring more glory to your son Jesus Christ's name. We pray this all in his name. Amen. It was not my plan to actually be here this morning. And in fact, I originally said it's because Will called me three weeks ago, but I've been having car problems, so I wasn't even sure if my car would make it today to begin with. But I also say that figuratively because I, this is not how I planned out my life. When I was in college, I was the stereotypical English major. All the way up to senior year, 
I thought I was going to do great things with my life. I thought I was going to write the next great American novel, and be, I thought I was the coolest person in the world. And the last thing that I had in my mind, the last thing I wanted to ever do with my life is to go into ministry, let alone be the worst possible profession, a pastor. Sorry, Will. And yet, here we are today, and as Kurt Vonnegut once said, we are trapped in the amber of the moment. A lot of us, we like to have our favorite Bible story characters. I know my mom's favorite Bible story is the book of Daniel when he goes into the lion's den and he has such great, tremendous faith. And there's some people that love King David who is such an amazing king that first and second kings constantly is comparing everyone else to how great David was. And some people even love the Apostle Paul who literally wrote half of the New Testament. But whenever I'm asked that question, there's only one person that I can consider, and he's the person I think is the greatest person of all time, and that is Jonah. And you might be shocked to hear that answer because I'm sure all of us, or at least many of us, have seen the VeggieTales movie. We know how this story starts and ends. I remember when I was a kid looking at the flannel glass board, watching the great fish eat Jonah because he there's one thing that we can know about this book. It's only four chapters. If you have the Pew Bible, it's only two pages. And that's Jonah sucks at his job. He's not a good prophet. He is the worst of the worst. And yet, there's something about him. There's something that has always drawn me to Jonah and why I love coming back to this story. And that is because I know that if I was in Jonah's position, I would have done the exact same thing. In fact, when you look at this story, you might be surprised that Jonah was not all too different from many of the Christians that we see today, or even especially the pastors that we see today, because Jonah had one job that he was supposed to do. He was a prophet, and prophets meant that he was the mouthpiece of God, that he was supposed to speak God's words, or as one of my professors has explained it, the prophets in the Old Testament were essentially the lawyers that litigated against Israel and were calling them back to the Old Testament law. And if you've ever stumbled upon one of these Old Testament books, because none of us really like to do this for our devotional reading, if you've ever taken the time to read one of this, you might understand their job by one phrase that shows up in every single one of them, and it's, thus says the Lord that Jonah was to speak God's words, to actually say what God had commanded him to do. And that was really the only job a prophet had to do. But if you read again in our chapter, if you read the, the very first verse that we see here, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amidi. And if you notice something, there's a word that's missing there. And it's not just in that verse. If we were to study all of the book of Jonah, we're only doing chapter 1 now, and you can look at whatever translation you want. If you know Hebrew, you can look at the Hebrew if you want. But the word prophet never once comes up in this book. Just reminding us that Jonah is a terrible prophet, that he doesn't listen to the one command that God has given him. To arise, to leave Israel, to go to Nineveh, and to call out against their evil. And I can drive home 
over and over and over how terrible Jonah is, but sometimes we forget exactly what it meant for Jonah to go to Nineveh. Because historically, Nineveh was actually the capital of the Assyrian, uh, they were the capital of the Assyrians. And that meant, at that time, they were oppressing Israel. And the equivalent of Jonah going to Nineveh right now would be like if a black preacher were to go at the height of the Jim Crow laws to a KK rally to preach. It's not going to work. It's, it was basically a death warrant for Jonah at that point. So naturally, if you keep going in the verse, Jonah listens to the first command that God gave him. He, he did get up. It says he arose, but then keep going, and it says Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. That the one thing that once Jonah has been given that one command that he hightails it out of Israel, he goes in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh, and he thinks that he can escape God's presence. And the thing about that, the, one, the very thrust of this passage is that we condemn Jonah but we forget that we can stand right next to him while we're sitting in church right now. That our natural propensity is to run away from God rather than to God. And we might do this implicitly through our actions, or we might be explicitly running from God right now. For some of you, you may actually sympathize with what Jonah was doing here today. You know that you're actually called out to speak to the people that are outside the church that are different from you that look nothing like you but our natural thing when we meet these people in the supermarket when we meet people that look different from us in the banks and wherever we go we might very in the back of our mind think something along the lines of oh hope church wouldn't really be the type of church that person would want to go to or for some of you it might not even be implicit you may genuinely hate the Ninevites in your life. You think that they are out to get you, that they are the greatest evil, that you cannot stand anyone that has a progressive view of sexuality, that has a socialistic understanding of economics, or is, that, is openly hostile to the gospel. And we go on our Facebook, we go on our Twitter, we start our tweet wars, and we try to show the love of Christ by blasting them on the internet. And it does nothing. And it just shows that we are not fulfilling God's command. For some of you in here, it may even be more explicit. You may actually be, you may genuinely think these people are less than you, that anyone that has a different political, ethnic, national background is less than where you stand today. But for some of you, you may be in the opposite spectrum. You may not be warming the pew seats or the chair seats today. You may genuinely hate the church and God himself for everything he has done to you, that you see this hypocrisy in the church, you see all this wrong that you think that these people are doing, that the people in the evangelical church, they preach about love, but to, in your mind, all you see is hatred and hostility to the world. And if God looks anything like that to you, you want to have nothing to do with him. 
but no matter where you stand today, whether or not you sit and watch VeggieTales movies in the church, or you openly hate the church and everything that it's about, your life does not get better when you run away from God and his commands, even when you are not even a Christian. Because look again at those verses. It doesn't sound very good what Jonah's doing, even before God gets involved. Because when we read again, Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. And if you think that that's me just reading into the text, Jonah is going to keep going down and down and down until he's at the, the womb of the fish, at the bottom of the sea, at the very gates of death itself, ready to die. Your life does not get better, and you may think that you can keep running from God, but it's not going to make you feel any better. You can ignore the Christians. You can hate them. You can also be disobeying God's commands. And yet, I promise you that it doesn't matter how hypocritical that you see people, because the reality is, when you look at yourself, when you honestly take a moment to think about who you are and all the hostility and hatred that you have in your heart, can you actually say that you feel better about yourself today? With all the people that you hate and the anger you feel towards the people in the church or the people outside the church, does that make you feel better about yourself? Because you keep, you keep building up this hatred. You keep making your life worse. You keep, it's the only thing that you can consider. And it's not just our inward hatred that we have to worry about because there's also that outward reality of God himself because Jesus did come in the New Testament and he came to save us from our sins but the reality is Jesus will come again and this time it's coming in judgment and you can hate the Ninevites in your life you can be a Ninevite yourself and hate the Israelites but God will return to judge all of our disobedience. As Thanos in Marvel's Infinity War has once said, I know what it's like to lose, to feel so desperately that you're right, yet you fail nonetheless. I ask you to what end? Dread it, run from it, destiny awaits all the same. Every way you look at it, you cannot be a Christian. You can be a Christian and disobeying God right now, but God is returning, and he is going to judge our disobedience. We can have this hostility in our heart. We can continue to be as angry as we want, but we will stand before God one day in judgment when he comes to recreate the world and make everything right again. And that is only verse 3 of our passage right now. Because continuing on, it doesn't get better. If that's not bad news enough, we, see, we keep looking at our story and see that the second that Jonah ran from God, that God is right there. Because verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the sea threatened to break up. Jonah genuinely thought, that he could run from God's presence. He thought that the other side of the known world was too far for God to catch him. But immediately, when Jonah runs from God's presence, the Lord is right there with him. 
he can live in the storm. In fact, he has been so disobedient that we see later that he goes down into the ship. He goes down to essentially, it's not that he's taking a little nap. He realizes that if he can't follow God's commands, then there's nothing better for him left than to just go into the ship and die. But proceeding Jonah's resignation, the chief sailors, they even get involved in this situation, and they call back themselves to what God just said, to arise, to call out to their God. But if that's not enough, the whole point of verses 4 and 6 is to show that the second Jonah ran, that God is right there with him. And the, the disjunction there in those verses is so strong that even in the Hebrew, Adonai, the Lord, is fronted in verse 4 to show that the second we think we can get away from God's presence, that he is right there with us. One of my favorite psalms is 139. And many of you may even know this. When, it's, when David himself, the king I just mentioned, said, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee, flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You cannot escape God's presence. You can hate him and you can revile everything it is that God stands for and the Bible itself. You can hide behind whatever Christianese you want and not be obeying what God has commanded you. But God, Yahweh, is right there with all of us. There's a song by the police that some of us actually forget is sung by a stalker that says, every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, Every step you take, I'll be watching you. And after hearing those words, after understanding the context of the whole book of Jonah, you may be shocked to know that God is just like that, that God is watching us, that he sees all of our mistakes, all of our failures, all of our hypocrisy, that we stand before a holy and righteous God exposed by who we truly are. And that might make you very uncomfortable but because that is either the worst news you've heard in your life or it is the greatest news that you'll hear all day. Because God is right there in Jonah's resignation. Jonah has given up. He's maybe a failing prophet. He may be doing whatever he can to escape God's presence. And he's given himself up to death. But the sailors themselves, they have figured out who Jonah is. They cast lots, which is essentially they found out that Jonah is, that this whole storm has something to do with Jonah, and they call him out for it. And finally, all of Jonah's failings have come full circle because Jonah has to be honest with what God has commanded him. God has not forgotten the one command that he will keep reminding Jonah through this whole book to arise, to go out from Israel, and to call out against Nineveh. And despite everything that we rightfully condemn him for, Jonah finally says something smart in verse 9. Because his response is, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord 
the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. He thought he could run away from God. He thought that the other side of the world was too far for God to catch him. But Jonah is living Psalm 139 firsthand, realizing that no matter how much he whines and complains, how much he flees from God, that God is right there with him. And you may today be ignoring God. You may hate him. You may hate the Bible and hate Christians. You don't have to be a Christian to realize that God is right there taking care of every step that we have. And because of who we are naturally, that should scare us. Because our desire to love ourselves and hate those that are around us, our desire to sin naturally is the most damning piece of evidence for our condemnation. That we deserve to be just like Jonah, to go down into the depths of the sea, in the womb of the belly of the fish, and to have the gates of hell shut behind us forever. We rightfully deserve all of God's condemnation. But thankfully, the story doesn't actually end there, because in the New Testament, there is one man that has compared himself to Jonah. Because in Matthew 12, we see that just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the answer that we have in the gospel is that Jesus takes that condemnation that we have, that we deserve. He takes on the very wrath of God himself so that when we are standing before God one day at that judgment, any goodness that we may think we have is not ourselves, but is completely alien to ourselves and is completely from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Throughout chapter 2 of Jonah, when Jonah is actually in the belly of the whale, another word for the belly is womb. So when Jonah actually is spit out from this whale, we are given this beautiful image of rebirth and renewal and new life that Jonah has the opportunity to renew himself, that we can get a changed heart, new life, and rebirth from our sinful propensity to run from God. And our running goes way beyond me just saying that we can't stop running from God, but Jesus answered it. Because there is one other example we see, because of us knowing that God is watching us, and because we know that Jesus has taken on our sin and died on the cross, there's another verse, a set of verses in the New Testament, in Matthew 8, 23. Actually, I would love for all of you to turn there. Matthew 8, 23. Many of you may actually know this story because you've heard it so many times. And yet, this passage is so parallel to what we are talking about, that we that actually the story itself is alluding back to the first chapter of Jonah. So Matthew 8, 23 through 27, of Jesus calming the storm. And when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he... Jesus was asleep. And when they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. 
And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the seas, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? Even with the disciples' lack of faith, we see a glimpse into who our Savior is. Because the disciples realized for the first time that this isn't any sort of man that they would expect. That this is Yahweh himself who commands this dry land and the sea, just like Jonah has just said. And as I said, the parallels are almost completely parallel in the sense that there is a storm. There are men afraid on the boat. There is a sleeping prophet. There are men going to a Gentile nation to proclaim the gospel itself. But the most important reason why I brought you to this passage is it gives us the very grounds for why we have good news in God watching us. Because I read this story of Jesus calming the storm so often in my life. I heard it in Sunday school. I knew what it meant that Jesus has power over the natural world. But that means completely different to me when I first move up here to Glenside, Pennsylvania. And I go on the news and see that Hurricane Irma is projected to hit my hometown, Marco Island, Florida, as a Category 5 hurricane. And for those of you that have never lived through a hurricane, that is the type of storm that will level houses, that will uproot trees and completely destroy cities. Now imagine understanding that and then getting a call from your parents saying that the roads are too busy to leave, that they just have to bunker down in the house, that the life insurance is in the safe, and if something devastating does happen, that I have to call our best friends in Michigan to take care of me. Do you know what that's like as a 25-year-old for the first time that's never been by himself for more than two months to get that type of news? Because I never felt more alone, more helpless, more like God was not right there with me at that moment. But that was when all of my running, all of my propensity to run away from what God has commanded me came to full circle because I knew that even in that hopelessness, that God was right there with me, that he was personally with me in my desperation, and that he was the one that controls both the dry land and the sea, that whatever happens during this storm is a part of God's sovereign plan, that the whole point of this passage, the very thrust and point that I'm trying to get across, I learned for the first time that day, and that is to follow after God who sovereignly controls it all. There's some of you here right now that may be running. That you don't need to be an ardent atheist. You don't have to be a pew warmer or a sinful, disobedient Christian to understand that. Decade, you may think that the church is decades behind culture, that they just don't get what life is about. Or you may yourself actually hate those people that are outside the church, and you have deemed yourself as the judge the jury, and the executioner of who deserves to hear the gospel. But the hope that we have is that no matter how many times we think that we've told God to shut up, no matter how much we think that God's not listening to us anymore, we 
realize that we can have great rest because you can spend the rest of your life running and running and running in circles and all you're looking for is rest. And not just any kind of rest, that great existential feeling that you finally feel like you belong to someone. You're not looking back at those failures and that, those mistakes that I was talking about, that running, that sin, all the things that we think condemn us, all or even looking at the mistakes of others. You groan for a place where you can just sit down and rest. Because the truth of Jonah is not only that God is sober, sovereign over all of our pain and our suffering and our disobedience and our earthly sorrow, that he knows exactly what he's doing in this situation, but that he offers something greater in the gospel. He's not some genie in the bottle that we call when our parents are in a hurricane five storm and I'm five states away from them. He is the God that satisfies our longing through a savior who died for our sins. You have hope in Jesus who sacrificially died for each person that puts that trust in what he has done. That, so that we can no longer be looking back at our running, our desires, our passions, the very thing that rightfully condemns us, but we can actually turn to the Savior and fall into the arms of Jesus Christ, who loves us, the hound of heaven that is re relentlessly pursuing us day in and day out. I said at the beginning of my sermon that Jonah is my favorite character, and for those that have known this story, you may think that's really weird, but this whole sermon, this whole journey is exactly why I love him. Every time I read this story, I am reminded that there is still hope for those that run from God. That although some of us have this natural inclination to escape God's presence, to do whatever we can to be away from him, that God is right there with us. Because for all of our running, for all of our sin, for all of that natural inclination to please ourselves, we have a great Savior who is calling to us today and says, Come unto me, all ye who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word that you've given to us. I pray that if there's anyone that would love to stop running from your presence, that they know that they are being disobedient to what you've called. I pray for even those that may genuinely just hate you and everything that you stand for, that you may be able to comfort them, that they will see that you are there watching them. But if they put their trust in their Savior, Jesus Christ, that that is the best news they could hear because you are sovereign over all things, that you see our pain, our suffering, our disobedience, and you have answered it in Jesus dying for our sins. I pray that each and every one of us can learn this and continue to grow and know more about who you are. In Jesus' holy name, amen.